second scripture reading and a verse that uh, going to relate to the message this morning is in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, be reading verses 1 through 10, maybe focusing on the first part of verse 4, but I'll begin at verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means <clears throat> be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Father, we, we praise and thank you for this precious word and for what we would desire to do to see Christ this morning, to see more of his glory, to desire him more, to consider him more precious, to love him more, to, to come to him more. And Father, we just pray that you'd bless us and help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Coming to him, to who? To Jesus, of course. Knowing that it's him where, who is our all in all. If we are believers, Christ is our all in all. He's everything. He's, and we daily, daily, continually need to come to him. Many times we think of coming to Christ as being a one-time event. And truly, it's the first event, the initiating event for our salvation. No one is going to go to heaven. No one can be saved who does not come truly, really, and, and certainly all sold to Christ. That's true. And yet, like the beginning of a journey, it doesn't end there. We 
proceed on that journey. We continue to come to Christ. One author I'm going to be reading parts of, James Smith, says, continually, daily, hourly coming to Christ. Why? Because we need to. We need him that bad. We need him. Even when we don't realize how bad we need him, we need him that bad. And that's why it's so important to get this important point in us that James makes here when James, James rather, Peter makes here when he says, and coming to, it's an ongoing, it's in the, in the tense of a continual coming. When Jesus gives the invitation, most of, mostly you, you see it as a one-time thing. He's bidding them to come. And again, that's very appropriately for the initial way we come to Christ. He says, come unto me, all you labor and a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But that's true on an ongoing basis. As one of the authors I was reading said, that if you were saying you were going, let's pick a place. Um, we're going to take a journey out to Montauk Point. <clears throat> and you travel, you, from, leaving from here, say you live in Merrick, and you go to Belmore, and then you stop. Can you say that you, you went to Montauk Point? No, you stopped in Belmore. You didn't continue the journey. Well, that's similar way is coming to Christ. It, we never stop coming to Christ. We never stop receiving Christ. We never stop believing on Christ. We never stop and we continue to do that until we're with him fully in glory. And then we'll have all of him, the best of him in, in fullness. So how, what is this coming to Christ? I'm going to be looking about answering that question, hopefully, how, and then what do we come to him for, and how we continually come to him, and then <clears throat> what he means to us when we come. What, that, what is that relationship that we have with Christ? It's, it's pictured beautifully in, in Scripture of, of a true knowledge of him as as the Apostle Paul writes, to know Christ, to know him more than just knowing about. Like Job didn't just know about God, he came to know God in an intimate, more intimate, personal way. And there is a growth in our, in our knowledge, right? Second Peter says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't think as Christians we need to grow, then we don't have a clue about what it means to be a Christian. Everything it means to be is involved in growing and following Christ. That's, that's one of the basics. Jesus said in, in Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, you see that coming there, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No one who truly comes to Christ doesn't follow Christ. It's the natural thing, just like starting that road. You can't say you, you come to Montauk Point unless you continue on, you continue going. And you, with Jesus, it's all important that we follow him. We follow him. He, he says that in his word over and over again, that we are to follow him. And that word, that the idea of coming, how do we come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Scripture uses a lot of expressions about and words to describe what we need to do to be saved. Of course, it, it highlights repentance. Repentance is a turning away. Before we're saved, we have our backs to God. 
we're like the sheep wandering away. Each one of us, his own way, right? We all, we like sheep, have gone astray. We have our backs to God. We have no reason to have fellowship with God. But in salvation, when God begins to draw sinners to himself, the first thing he does is we, is we begin to turn. We begin to make a turn around from following ourselves, from worshiping idols, from going astray to God, to Christ in particular. And so that begins. And the scriptures describe what we need to do. We need to repent and believe Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the same as coming. It's a, and we also, it's not just believing about, right, with our heads, but it's believing into. It's a whole soul resting upon Christ, believing into him and receiving him. Right? It says that in John, it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Receiving Christ, it's the same idea. It's the same truth. Calling upon the name of of the Lord. Again, these are all synonyms, right? Is that the right word? They're synonyms. They all mean basically the same things, but they're like different nuances to different ways. But coming is an important and a powerful way. <clears throat> and that's what I hope to show. We do most certainly have to come to Christ. You can see the difference between knowing about and believing certain doctrines and going, getting baptized, joining the church, participating in the church, and coming, actually coming to Christ. It's all important. If you don't come to him, you can't follow him. If you're not following him, you're not going to make it to heaven. You're not going to be on that road to glory. And when we die, we will die Christless. It doesn't have to be. Christ bids sinners to come. Young people, old people, anyone to come to him, to follow him. And so that's it, what it is. It's a whole soul. One of my favorite authors gave the, one of the best descriptions I've ever read of describing what it means to come to Christ. And I'll read some of that. Coming to Christ is coming to him with the heart. With the heart. By simple faith. Very important. Faith. Believing on Christ is coming to him. Coming to Christ is believing on him. It is the act of the soul. The soul, which takes place when a man feeling his own sins. Holy Spirit convicts. Holy Spirit, that's part of that drawing. Despairing of all other hope. We can't have Christ and have other things. We'll be trusting in other things. A church or our good works or our religion or the things we do in that. Nothing else. All other things. And commits. We commit ourselves. Commit to him. Commit himself. Um, we commit ourselves to Christ for salvation. And venture on him. Trust in him. Cast himself wholly on him. When a man turns to Christ empty... He, that he turns to Christ empty, that he may be filled. He turns to Christ sick, that he may be healed. Hungry, that he may be satisfied. Thirsty, that he may be refreshed. Needy, that he may be enriched. Dying, that he may have life. Lost, that he may be saved. Guilty, that he may be pardoned. Sin defiled, that he may be cleansed. Confessing that Christ alone can supply his needs. Then... He comes to Christ. 
wonderful description, an important one. Again, so necessary that we understand we come to him that way in simple faith, whole soul, with no, nothing in my hand. The famous hymn, Rock of Ages, right? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It's a beautiful hymn, beautiful picture of what the soul does, what we do, what we absolutely need to do. It's not just a mental thing. We have to believe the scriptures about Christ. And we trust in him, his person, and in his perfect work. He did a perfect work. And we trust in that as well. We trust in him. We come to him and we believe that his work is complete. All we need. We can't add to it. We, could, we would mess it up. We can't. It's perfect. Jesus said it is finished. He, he went to the cross to pay a debt we could not pay to bear the wrath of God in himself on the cross. And he lived a life, a sinless life, as a man, Christ, fully God and fully man in the one person with two natures that are undivided, but each one real, God and man, united. And in that humanity, he had to be a human being to live a sinless life to provide a righteousness for us that we are in desperate need of. We have no righteousness. It's all filthy rags. And so we need his righteousness and we need his blood to atone for our sins. That sacrifice, that, that substitutionary sacrifice. So we come to him and we continue to come. The great blessings of coming to Christ is that he desires us to come. We, we can see that in the words of that invitation, come unto me. But we read it in other places in Scripture as well. And in, in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is full of Christ. I don't think there's any other books of the prophets. It's a major prophet, Isaiah, where you see Christ so clearly. And, and I would recommend you read, and over, read again the book of Isaiah. He says in 55, Isaiah 55, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Christ pleads with sinners to come. And so we come to him. What do we come for? We come for his love, his perfect love that he loves us. That's why the only reason why we ever love him. He loves us first. Before the foundation of the world, we have the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit, purposing to save a people for Christ, his sheep. We come for light, for wisdom, and we come for life, eternal life. We come for his grace. Grace, what a wonderful word. It's not just the first word of our church name. It's not just wonderful people we know, names, but it's, it's, a, it's the grace of God. It's, it's so key and so important. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Grace, grace, and more grace is available and there in Christ. Christ gives grace, not only one time, but continually. Do you think you could 
we could last one minute, one second without the grace of God to uphold us. It's like an umbrella that we are taken underneath. We're in the sphere of God's grace and we need it every day, but it's all centered right there on Christ. Christ is that, that one who is full of grace. In John chapter four, 1, 14 through 18, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We need grace. Where are we going to find it? In Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, grace upon grace that's in Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Key word there being Grace, <laughs> obviously. Grace in Christ. That's what we come to him for. We come for cleansing to a fountain, a living fountain that springs up into us into eternal life. We read about uh, that fountain in Revelation 22, 17, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the bride of Christ, the church, his people, say, come, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty come. That's a spiritual thirst for Christ that sinners have when the Spirit works on their hearts, when they're regenerated, born again, and they begin to see the need, and they begin hunger and thirst for Christ, for his blood and righteousness, his salvation. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. It's a free invitation in the beginning and on the Christian life. Because somehow we get messed up in our Christianity and we think that we, we, we're sure we came just as we were to the Savior, just as I am, right? And we sang, we know we did, we did that, but then something happens in our minds. We forget that that's how we have to come every day with nothing, no, not offering anything. We come as we are, guilty sinners, with all our sins and all our doubts and all our fears and our worries and anxieties. We still got to come as we are. And he wants us to come. He wants us to come daily, hourly, every minute to him for that grace that's ascribed in Ephesians 1.7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, the riches of his grace. Sounds good to me, right? Riches of his grace. So we come, and we continually come. Another favorite author of mine is James Smith, a predecessor of Spurgeon, I believe, in uh, England. He writes, All true Christians know Christ, not with the mere the theoretical knowledge, which we obtain from books, but with a knowledge which the Holy Spirit works in the heart. You read that in John chapter 6, the Spirit working to teach God's people, to give us uh, understanding, true understanding and true knowledge of Him, which the Holy Spirit works in the heart, the heart, the new heart. We know in the glory of His person, we know Christ in the glory of His person, in the perfection of His work, 
and in the riches of his wondrous grace, we so know Christ that he stands out before us as chief among the thousands, ten thousands and the altogether lovely one. Does this strike a chord? I know when we say these things, all we can think of sometimes is, boy, I wish that was, you know, more true of me, how it convicts, because we know that's what it should be, but we haven't gotten there yet. But this is, to some degree, there has to be a, a, a love and an understanding of Christ. That's why it mentions there that Christ not only being precious in the sight of God, but precious to those who believe he is precious. It's a new sight of Christ. We see him, we, so we know Christ. He stands out as that chief among 10,000, lovely one. And the more we know him, the more we know him, the more intimate we wish to become with him. That's a truth. To know him is to love him. To know him more is to love him more. And we're not talking about a head knowledge, a theological knowledge, the 1689 confession knowledge, all good, all important, but it's knowing. It's like Dennis and Renee. They know each other. They don't just know about each other. They know each other. That's the picture God gives in Scripture of a marriage. And the union we have with Christ is a union like a marriage, is like the union between Christ and his church. It's an intimate knowing as husband and wife. You, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, but what things were gained to me, he lived, just as after he lists all his accomplishments in Judaism and all that by all he was, but what were, things were gained to me, these things I counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the knowing that um, James Smith was talking about and the Apostle Paul <clears throat> and the knowing that we have to have chief among 10,000. It's right out of Song of Solomon, an intimate picture of a bride, the bride and the bridegroom, the bridegroom being Christ, the bride being his church, his people. You see, we have a, when we come to Christ, we come to him as our Savior, as our Lord, as our friend, as our Redeemer, as our husband. It's an union, intimate union with Christ, and we come to him that way. Wonderful verses. Read Song of Solomon. Read the book of Isaiah. You'll see all the, the language there. How it a desire Christ. And he's beautiful when we see the beauty. When God regenerates us. Before that, we see no beauty in Christ that we should desire him. It says that in Isaiah 50, 53. No beauty that we should desire him. Right? And in fact, we like... The people in First Peter there are, would reject him. 
we, we see nothing beautiful, nothing we want, nothing we, we don't want to follow him, we don't want him to tell us what to do. No beauty in Christ until the Holy Spirit works. And then we begin to see how precious he is, how beautiful he is. Some of these verses in Isaiah and in Song of Solomon and show us the relationship there. It says in Isaiah 4.2, the branch, that's Christ, in that day, the branch, capital B, of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. He's beautiful, glorious, excellent, and appealing to the soul. We, we desire him. It's an appeal that he has for those of Israel who have escaped. We ex have escaped the city of destruction, and now if we're heading to the celestial city. We're... we're on that road, we're following Christ, and he's excellent, he's beautiful, he's glorious, he's appealing. Isaiah 55, we see the relationship to Jesus. For your maker, he made us. Jesus made us. Your maker is your husband. He's wooed us to, the Holy Spirit has wooed us to Christ, like a, a, a man would woo his wife to get to marry him. He's wooed us. He, he was, we're, we were his, given to him by the Father. And he, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. In Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me. Think of the bridegroom clothing the bride, right? Clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's Christ's righteousness. Spotless righteousness that he covers his dear bride with. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornament. And a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 62, 4 and 5. You shall no longer be called forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. That's Jesus. He delights in us, his people. He loves us. He delights like a husband who delights in his wife. We were heard, hearing that in a Sunday school this morning, how when you get married, you love the, after you've been married for many years, there's a way in which you love your wife more now than ever going through all those things and, and Christ loves us. He delights in us. Your land shall be married for as a young man marries a virgin, so you, your sons marry you and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. We are the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. So your God rejoices over you. Christ rejoices over us. He loves us like a husband. No husband ever loved their wife. That's how Christ loves his people his bride, and we come to him in that way for that. That's the depth of it. Now, if you're thinking, this is all new to me, this is something I'm not sure that I know, well, it's a growing thing. Just like in marriage, when the two people get married, they hardly know each other. It's like a, a, a little bit of a rocky road there in the beginning, right? There's all the things that, that bother each other and they're getting to know each other but it smooths out. It begins to smooth out in a good, godly marriage. And that's the way it is with Christ. We begin to understand these things. If you don't have it, if that's not, this is even not in your experience at all, desire it. And if you go to him for it, say, Lord, I don't know if I'm even saved. Save me. He will save you. He who comes to me, we read, 
I will in no wise cast out. And if we want more of him, more of this experience, more of that intimate relationship, what are we going to do? Ask him for it. He will give it to us. He will begin to, to work that will grow, will be growing in that knowledge. So he marries us and we know we need him. We need his blood. We need his cleansing power is for our filth and defilement. We need his righteousness to clothe us. We need to be committed to our husband and our king, our redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, we need him because we need him in everything, in everything. If you've been a Christian for more than probably a month or so, you know that the Christian life is full of trials and testings. It's that sacrificial way, the way of the cross, the way of suffering, the way of trials. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of peace. There's a lot of blessings. But there's a lot of sorrow. And because we're still sinners and we sin. But Christ is our everything. He's our all in all in everything. In everything. Not just the good and the blessings, but in the trials, in the troubles, and the conflicts, in the burdens. And no one can sympathize like Christ in no, with us in those things. God brings them in his sovereign mercy and grace, working all things together for good. But Jesus is with us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means in everything. God is working all things together for good to those who love him. We've been through many things as a church and as individuals this year, this past year, a couple of years but we need to find the, the grace and the comfort in Christ. In Song of Solomon, in verse six, chapter 6, verse 3, the bride says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. That's a beautiful song that pictures our relationship to Christ that we can say with truth. I am my beloved. My beloved is mine. His banner over me is love. He feeds his flock among the lilies. It's a relationship. And we can, for the first time and on and on, come to him. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's that following. That's that taking the yoke of Christ, his laws, his commandments, his joining his church, being obedient to him, following him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just in the beginning, but continual rest and continual joy and peace and comfort. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ is our all in all. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus. Of God, you didn't get into Christ on your own. You got there by the sovereign grace of God. In Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Do we lack wisdom? It's in Christ. And righteousness. Do we lack righteousness? It's in Christ. And sanctification. Do we... Are we there yet? Did we arrive? Are we perfect yet? No, we need sanctification. We need perseverance. Who gives it? Christ gives it through the Holy Spirit. He gives us His Spirit to indwell us, the Comforter, to, to work that sanctification and the redemption, a full redemption, redeeming us from our sins, 
shedding his blood for us and redeeming, eventually redeeming our bodies, giving us new bodies in glory. And all that is in Christ. Do we have this? Is there anyone here this morning who's not sure? Maybe you're rejecting Christ and maybe you're ignoring Christ. Maybe you're not actually, don't think, you're shaking your fist at him, but you're not, you're putting him off. He's calling, he's calling, he's bidding, he's inviting, and you just say, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow may not come. Death is shocking. It, it surprises us. It comes, and when we don't expect it, young people too die. And it's the, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Don't ignore us for another time. Christ is bidding you to come. Don't reject him. It's the same as if you reject him like the, the religious leaders did. But come to him. In uh, Ryle's words, <clears throat> beware of mistakes as to the manner of coming to Christ. Dismiss from your mind forever all idea of worthiness, merit, fitness of yourself. Throw away all notion of goodness, righteousness, personal deserving. Think not that you can bring anything to recommend you or to make you deserving of Christ's notice. You must come to him as poor, guilty, undeserving sinner or you cannot come at all. But to him who doesn't work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It is the particular mark of the faith that justifies and saves that it brings to Christ nothing but an empty hand. We need to come to Christ. And the question is, have we? Are we coming to him? Are we continually, daily, hourly coming? We need to. For all are all in all and grow, to grow in his grace and in his in his love. So we prepare now to take the supper. Keep that in mind. And uh, hopefully that this word will prepare us for that. We have a, a wonderful Savior in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Father, we do desire to know these things more. To know Christ more. To come to him in that way as a, our heavenly husband. Uh, our dear Redeemer. And Father, we just pray that you would enable, you would work and teach by the Holy Spirit these things to us, to our hearts, to our souls, so that we would come. Some would come initially for the first time, would come and give up everything to come to Christ. And, and others of us who have come would continue to come and come more often and see our desperate need of him, all of us. Father, we thank you for your word and truth and pray that you'd bless it all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.